Hey guys, welcome back to the Far Better Podcast again for another road trip week that we are taking together, and I am excited to continue our study on the one-way sign. Now, I want you to think about what we talked about last week. Road signs, like what we're discussing on this particular three-week arc, are not easy to discuss. And I know that, and I I don't want anybody to think that I take any type of joy or pleasure in discussing some things that are hard to discuss. But we need to talk about what the truth is. And so, I'd like to invite your attention to Galatians chapter 1, and I want you to consider that Paul said it was so. There are two different gospel letters, if you will, that I'd like to cover today. The first one is Galatians, the oneness in Galatians. I'm told in Galatians chapter 1, there is only one gospel. Paul had stated there'd been a departure from that. In fact, in verse 6, he says, I marvel, I'm flabbergasted. I don't really use that word a lot in our English language, but it's basically what he said. I'm flabbergasted. I'm absolutely astonished that you are turning away so soon from him who called you in the grace of Christ to a different gospel, which is not another. There are some who trouble you and want to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you than what we have preached to you, let him be accursed. As we have said before, So now I say again, if anyone preaches any other gospel to you, then what has been received, let him be accursed. He always singularly speaks of the gospel, by the way. He stated very plainly in verses 6 through 9 that there's not another gospel. There's only one. He says in verse 11, I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached by me is not according to man. That's an important verse. We have in our world today creed books, some that are they're good in principle on a lot of subject matters. Morally speaking, a lot of the creed books that you can find that talk about treating your neighbors correctly and, to be honest, just carry a lot of what the Bible says, those have good thoughts in them. But they fail in the idea of being gospel. And you might say, how do you know that? Paul just said so. I make known to you, brethren, that the gospel, singular, which was preached by him, is not according to man. It's not from man. Look at chapter 2 and verse 2. I went up by revelation and communicated to them that gospel, which I preached among the Gentiles, singular. Verse 5, to whom we did not yield submission even for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Verse 7, on the contrary, when they saw that the gospel of the uncircumcised had been committed to me as the gospel for the circumcised was to Peter, verse 14 of chapter 2, when I saw that they were not straightforward about the truth of the gospel, jump to chapter 3 and verse 8, And the scripture, foreseeing that God would justify the Gentiles by faith, preached the gospel to Abraham beforehand, saying, And you all the nations shall be blessed. And finally, in chapter 4 and verse 13, 
you know that because of physical infirmity, I preached the gospel to you at the first. We can find and say then with quite certainty and clarity that there is only one gospel. Paul never gave leeway for any other. And some might wonder, why does that matter? Because there's only one way. Look at Galatians chapter 2 again and verse 20. We sometimes will sing this at church camps. Here's what he wrote. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Time out. It's not me who lives anymore. Paul writes, and you could change that to Michael has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer he who lives, but Christ lives in him. We're not talking about Jesus working my body with controls or anything of the sort. We're talking about a simple understanding that when I became a child of God, when I began to serve God for the rest of my days, everything that I do, spiritually speaking, both to further my life as a Christian, and both to ensure that I continue to live as a Christian, is as if Jesus Christ is living my life. That's why Paul would write in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 and verse 1, imitate me as I imitate Christ. That's why that's so important. It's doing what Christ would have us to do. And he says, the life which he now lives in the flesh, he lives by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. That's important because I want you to notice chapter 3 now and verses 1 through 3. O foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you that you should not obey the truth before whose eyes Jesus Christ was clearly portrayed among you as crucified? This only, verse 2, I want to learn from you. Did you receive the Spirit by the works of the law or by the hearing of faith? Verse 3, are you so foolish? having begun in the Spirit, and now you're being made perfect by the flesh? You see, if you didn't know this, what the Galatians were doing, and I shouldn't say all of the Galatians, but there were some southern churches of Galatia that had departed from the New Testament law, and they'd gone toward the Old Testament law again. And the book of Galatians and Hebrews are excellent writings as to why we leave the old law behind and we focus on the New Testament. Verses 1 through 3 of chapter 3 are a part of that, but he starts in chapter 3 going all the way to chapter 5 with continuing to punch, if you will. He's continuing to deliver blow after blow to the idea that going back to a different gospel is acceptable. He started off in chapter 1 by saying there's not another gospel. He shifts into chapter 3 by saying, who bewitched you to turn from the truth? He even goes on in chapters 3 and 4 talking about you're not the seed of promise. You're not the son of promise. If you are living in the Old Testament law, you're Hagar's children. That's a high insult for Peter. See, I told you I'd do it. For Paul to write to these Galatian brethren. To say that they were Hagar's children meant that they were children of God with no inheritance. They were illegitimate. 
not what God would want them to be, not what we find coincidentally in Acts chapter 2, verses 42 through 47. They weren't living the way that they needed to live. They were not continuing in the apostles' doctrine. And so I know with certainty and clarity, I cannot compromise on this subject. I want you to notice chapter 5, though. Paul gives us the information on what happens when you go to a different gospel, when you follow something that is not what the Scriptures teach. In Galatians 5 and verse 1, he says, Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free, and do not be entangled, notice this again, with a yoke of bondage. Don't go back. Peter would write in 2 Peter chapter 2, verses 18 through 22, give or take 18 or 19 through 22, that it's as if when I had the law, I had Christ, and I willingly turn away from it, it's like a dog who returns to his own vomit, or a pig who was washed goes back to the muck and the mire. Paul says, don't become entangled again with a yoke of bondage. Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is debtor to keep the whole law. Now, here's what this is in case you didn't know, in, in kind of layman's terms. There was an Old Testament command that in order to be a Jew properly, you had to be circumcised on the eighth day. There are some scientific and medical advances that we've learned as to why that was so important to do it on the eighth day, and that God knew that. And in fact, that command is actually a great proof that God really is who he said he was because there's a specific vitamin that is at its highest peak on the eighth day. And it's the type of vitamin that you need in order to do a procedure like circumcision without dying and it being as clean medically as possible. Paul says now in Galatians 5.3, if you're going to teach the Old Testament law of circumcision, you are a debtor to keep the whole law. Let's talk about the whole law for just a moment. And that word whole law is a daunting task because we don't have time to cover every one of the laws that the Old Testament law had, but let's cover two. Remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Have to do that now. Every Sabbath day can't work anymore, can't do any type of work, can't do any of that. And some might say, well, I actually know of people, Michael, that that's what they do. They they don't work on the Sabbath day. Let's go a step further. Did you know that an Old Testament law exists that says if children were disobedient to their parents, that they were to be stoned to death? Did I lose you? You're still here, right? None of us would admit that we think that's a law we want to come back. None of us would suggest that we think that that law is a law that we want to see in existence again, because quite honestly, none of us would be alive if that law was still a thing. I'm told in Romans chapter 7, in verses 20 through 25, that it's no longer about perfection, which is what the old law required. And in fact, it's interesting that Paul would write in both Romans and Galatians, chapter 5 here, verse 3, you have to be perfect in keeping the whole law. You're going to follow after circumcision? 
There's a rabbit hole then that you have to go down of every law that is attached to Old Testament ideology, and they weren't keeping all of them. And in Romans 7, 20 through 25, Paul gives the correct formula, which is be faithful. No one's a perfect spouse, but they can be a faithful spouse. I want you to notice Galatians 5, 4, though. You have become estranged from Christ, you who attempt to be justified by law. You have fallen from grace. If it didn't matter what they did, why did Paul say that they fell? It would be foolish to suggest that it didn't matter after reading chapter 5 and verse 4. And if there were more than one way, Paul would have had no need to correct them and beg them to get on the correct path. And that's what the whole purpose of Galatians was. It was a plea to seek the old path and do what is God's way. That is always what Jesus intended in Matthew chapter 12, verses 46 and following. Jesus is standing and talking to the multitudes, and his mother and brother come outside seeking to talk to him. And someone says, look, your mother and your brothers are standing outside seeking to speak with you. And he answered and says, who is my mother and who are my brothers? And he didn't point to his mother and brothers when they came in and said, ah, there they are. He pointed toward his disciples and said, here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. You want to be a part of the family of God? You want to be a brother of Jesus, a sister of Jesus, the mother, so to speak, in the family of God? Do the will singular, of the Father. Number two, quickly, the oneness in Ephesians. Paul would write in this specific gospel letter, all true Christianity is single. It's all found in Christ Jesus. Ephesians 1, 1, chapter 1, verse 4, verses 9 through uh, 13, verse 20, chapter 2, verses 6 and 7, and verse 13, chapter 3, verses 6, 11, 12, and chapter 4 and verse 32. And we would have no salvation without the blood of Jesus Christ. And in fact, it's amazing when you go to Acts chapter 20 and verse 28, that's what he says. The blood of Jesus purchased the church of God. Someone might say, ah, gotcha, church of God and church of Christ are not the same thing. They used to be. It used to be like if I were to ask, do you drive a car, an automobile, or a vehicle? Did you go to the grocery store? Did you go to Kroger, or did you go to the store? They all mean the same thing if you're talking about Kroger as a grocery store. There's a series of ones, though, that is important to discuss how we know the church of God was just the same as the church of Christ, and that's found in Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 6. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in you all. And again, you might be thinking, where is the church in that series of verses? You have to go back a few chapters to Ephesians 1, 21 through 23, where Paul wrote, far above all principality and power and might and dominion and every name that is named, not only in this age, but in that which is to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him to be head over all things to the church. Okay, we're getting somewhere. 
Watch verse 23, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. If there's only one body, what would that mean in regards to the church? If we're to believe that there are multiple bodies, we're denying the inspired words of Paul. Remember that his words were penned through the inspiration of another source. It wasn't just Paul saying, these are some good things I think you should notice. We know that this source was Jesus Christ through the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples he would send a comforter to them in John 16, 12 and following. He says in verse 14, or verse 13, specifically in verse 14, when he, the spirit of truth has come, he'll guide you into all truth. Watch this. He will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will tell you things to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of what is mine and declare it to you. A quick side note, meaning then, those Bibles that we have that have the words of Christ in red, technically speaking, the whole New Testament could be in red. Every writing that exists from the apostles, from the people that wrote and contributed to the New Testament, they all come from the Holy Spirit who got his teaching from Jesus. Can you understand the importance then when Peter and Paul both would write about the holy men of God and how they were able to speak the truth, 2 Peter 1, 20-21, that holy men of God spoke as they were moved by the Spirit. Or how Paul would write in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, that all Scripture was given by the inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, reproof, correction, and instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Therefore, when Paul or any other apostle spoke, wrote, or privately proclaimed the message of the gospel in Bible study, they were involved in spreading what Jesus himself would have been teaching if he were there delivering the message. So when Paul wrote that there is only one body, that could only mean one thing. There's one body. And that word body is from the following Greek word. Don't, if you're a Greek scholar, Tune out my potentially horrible pronunciation of this, but suma or soma. Thayer defines it as this the body, both of men or animals, a dead body or corpse, the living body of animals, the bodies of planets and of stars, heavenly bodies, if used of a larger, small number of men closely united into one society as family, as it were, social, ethical, mystical body. In the New Testament, then, it was talking about the church. Well, then what's the Greek word in chapter 1 and verse 23 when it talks about the church, which is his body? It's the same word, which means it carries the exact same definition and weight for this world. There is only one church. There is only one body. And because of that verse, we have a problem. We have a problem with what we began last week talking about. 380,000 churches that don't all carry the same belief. 
40 plus thousand different denominations, 600 million at one point now to 2 billion estimated quote-unquote Christians that exist in the world, and they don't all believe the same thing, and they're not all a part of the same church. We have a problem, and we're going to need to try to fix it. And the best way to do that is by following what the Bible says. Just doing what's right. Lord willing, next week we'll continue our study on this particular road sign. We'll bring it to a close. And we'll finalize our thoughts on the subject matter of the one-way road sign. But until then, let's please God now so our eternity can be far better. Thank you so much for listening to this episode on the Scattered Abroad Network. We are grateful for your continued support as well as your continued prayers. If you would like to find out more about our network, please visit our website at scatteredabroad.org. We look forward to studying with you again soon. May God bless you.